everybody. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a little more better. And Jim and Kathy Pasquale, could, now how did you guys feel this morning when we were singing, all my life you have been faithful. Could you get through it without a couple tears? Glad to have you guys back this morning. Jim and Kathy, just stand for a second so everybody knows who I'm talking about. But Jim and Kathy um, have been away from us for a little while since August, really because their little troublemaker son had to go ahead and have a health problem. But uh, any, uh, I, I, I mean, this obviously you're being with us this morning uh, is a very good sign. Any, any words you'd like to give to? I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Praise the Lord. Yep. Yep. He is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Love that song. It's one that uh, really resonates with, with my heart for sure. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, um, wrote a message on Psalm 2, the mother of all conspiracies. Right, of course, it, we, we looked at some conspiracies, but the ultimate conspiracy, of course, is this conspiracy of humankind that is basically with raised fists to God saying, we will not have this man to rule over us, right? Let us break their bands in Sunday, sunder and cast away the cords from us. He that sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, then he will speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his Sword displeasure, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And Jesus speaks, saying, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. And so the final conclusion to all that is, therefore, be wise, you kings of the earth. Be wise, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you when his wrath is kindled but a little. And then the last verse in Psalm 2 is, blessed are all those that put their trust in him. And so that, and the course of study in that whole thing, I found that Psalm 2 and Psalm 1 were actually part of the one original song. And so <clears throat> that kind of led me to go to Psalm 1. I figured, okay, let's take, because if, if, if the person who has raised the flag of surrender, that's what has to happen. Okay, all of us are part of that Psalm 2 crowd. Why do the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands and cast away their cords from us, right? So this, the whole picture is of, human, of all humanity kind of conspiring together to say to you, God, we, will, we want nothing to do with you, and we don't want you to rule over us. And the world that we're living in is showing more and more evidence of what the world looks like when um, God does not rule over men's hearts in this present world, the confusion and the craziness. But anyway, that brought us to Psalm 1, and of course, blessed are all those who put their trust. And of course, that brings us to Psalm 1, which starts out by saying, blessed is the man. Now, I, I feel terrible saying this, but tough luck for you ladies. You know, and don't try to move in on our blessing. You know, it says blessed is the man, right? Not the woman. So just suck it up and deal with it. That's what I have to say. 
No, obviously you know. There you go, Dad. I'm, I'm getting amens on that. There's going to be war out in the parking lot by the time we're done. Right? Of course, it's non-generic. It is blessed is the one. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the person. Right? And last week we talked about how to be the blessed person. But, of course, we had to kind of hustle, hustle through because we had a lot of things to do. And so this morning I wanted to go back to this psalm because it's such a rich and profound message a rich and profound song for us to sing. And so I want to go back and visit it. So we're going to go back and look at Psalm 1, and I'm calling it the happy psalm. Okay? And that is perfectly appropriate because the very first word, which is asher, which says blessed, means, oh, how happy. It's the same thing that you find in uh, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, he called his disciples unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those uh, that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, you know, and blessed are the peacemakers. He goes through all these different situations or attitudes. And he says, blessed. And, and every one of those blessed in Greek, it's makarios. And it, is a, it, has a, it should have like an exclamation point. Oh, how blessed. Oh, how, oh, the satisfaction of. That's kind of the concept. So we're going to look at Psalm 1 again today, and this is the, the happy psalm. So if you're in church today, you should walk out of here a happy soul, right? Because we're going to dig into the happy psalm a little bit. Here's our text today. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. All right, so let's take a minute and we will just ask the Lord for his blessing on his word to kind of minister it, serve it to us. Serve it up to our hearts. Lord God, thank you for your word. David was right when he said, it is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. Other than your word, this is one dark and discouraging and fearful and ominous place to be passing through. But because we have your word, we have light in the darkness. We have one that makes a way where there is no way. A promise keeper who has made many promises to keep us and to give us the grace that we need to persevere and make it through victoriously. So thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning. And we just pray that uh, as we share your word, that it will, it will just come and be sown into our heart, and that when we need this word, it'll be right there so that we can draw upon it to uh, receive strength and faith and and guidance in the hour of need. So bless our time together, we ask, O oh God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. All right, good. So, one of the most successful songs of recent years is a song called 
happy by Farrell Williams, right? Everybody know the song, right? You probably know it. You ought to know it. It was number one here in the uh, U.S. Uh, it was also number one in the U.K. It was also number one in Ireland. It was also number one in Australia. It was also number one in New Zealand. And it was also number one in 19 other countries as far as my studies uh, revealed. Y on YouTube, the song has over 85 million hits. Because I'm happy, let know if you... You know the song, right? Um, it's a simple song that invites people to be happy despite the difficult momentary circumstances that we find ourselves passing through. It's a popular song because it really expresses what everybody wants out of life, right? If, if people are asked, most people will say, all I want is to be happy, right? And I mean, it's not much to ask, is it? All I want is to be happy. That is what many people will, uh, will say. And yet, according to the USA Gallup poll, USA Today and the Gallup poll, over 70% of people, when asked, say they are not happy. Not happy with their jobs, not happy with their life, not happy with their circumstances. Another New York research team reported that people in general report that they are just not happy with their lives. Even more interestingly, the World Happiness Report did you know that there was a World Happiness Report? I bet you didn't. <laughs> there is actually a World Happiness Report, which is a yearly report published by the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, okay, uh, that gets much of its data from the Gallup World Poll, found that countries with high level of income, wealth, and well-being also had lower levels of happiness overall. Some will not be surprised by that. It just shows that stuff doesn't make you happy. If stuff made you happy, if things made people happy, we ought to be the happiest people that have ever lived, right? We got more stuff than anybody's ever had. But they found that, that uh, countries with higher level of income wealth and well-being had lower levels of happiness overall. Now, really, everybody has some idea in their mind of what they think would make them happy. But the real question is, what would it actually take to get you from where you are right now to that place? You know, we all have a picture of, of like what kinds of circumstances or what situation would actually make us happy. For some people, it would be owning something. Oh, if I could just have that truck. Oh, if I had that truck, I'd be so happy. Or if I just had that car, if I just had that house, if I just had those, well, whatever, it may happen to be. <clears throat> For some, it's owning somebody. For some, it's an income threshold. If I could just make a, that certain amount of money, if I could just get to that income level, um, I think I would be happy. Some would say, if I could just marry that person, then I would be happy. Or someone else might say, if I hadn't married that person... <laughs> But it's not a good time to kind of, you know, elbow your, your spouse at the moment. Okay, now here's a little silly little joke. But there are three guys that are talking about um, happiness. And one is English, one is French, and one is Russian. Let's see if I can get this, make this happen, right? So the English guy says, well, happiness is when you come home after a hard day's work. And there are your, um, what are you, sl slippers warmed by the fire, right? 
the Frenchman goes, ah, you English, you know nothing. Happiness is when you go to a wonderful restaurant with your wife and have a wonderful meal. And so the Russian guy says, they neither of you know anything whatsoever. Happiness is when you're sleeping soundly in your bed. And 3 o'clock in the morning, a knock comes on the door. KGB is knocking on your door. KGB pushes the door open and says, Ivan Ivanovich, you come with me. And you say to him, Ivan Ivanovich, he lives next door. <laughs> what will it actually take to make a person happy? <clears throat> it's really all a matter of perspective, isn't it, right? The Word of God has a lot to say about happiness. And the direction that it gives are all, um, are all things that the world will never tell you. So we come back to the book of Psalms, and it starts off with this happy psalm that we're going to look at this morning. And of course, the first where I take the title from the first word, which is blessed, which is asher, which means, oh, how happy. It's actually written in plural, and it really could be uh, translated, oh, the joys, oh, the happinesses, plural, of the one who does Uh, according to the instruction of Scripture. So this is God's instruction as to how we may attain happiness. Of course, we're all familiar with the the Declaration of Independence. In the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we read, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created by are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So our, the Declaration of Independence ensures that you have a right to pursue happiness. It says nothing at all about finding happiness or actually discovering happiness, but you have a, a, a right to pursue happiness, but it's not guaranteed that you'll find it. Many are pursuing happiness and never find it. And here's why. Happiness is rarely found as a result of a, of a direct pursuit. In other words, if I had that thing, that person, those circumstances, then I would be happy. Because most of us realize that happiness can turn on a dime. The thing that makes me happy can be lost the next day, and then I'm unhappy again. So happiness is a very fickle thing. So according to the Word of God, happiness is found by an entirely different pursuit. It is when we pursue God that happiness will tag along. It's like what Jesus says when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So let's get into this psalm this morning. We'll break it down verse by verse, phrase by phrase. And what we have here is a description of how happiness happens. So it starts out, first of all, with three negatives. Okay, now someone may say, oh, that's what I dislike about the Bible. It's always negative. It's all those thou shalt nots and, you know, this God just has no sense of humor and all that kind of thing that people think about God. But if, if you think about it, negatives often precede positives. In other words, it takes a few negatives to, to create a space for the positives to actually come about. The happy, the happy person is defined by what he declines or by what he says no to. Do we have, see if, no, a little further, that's a little further up. Okay. So it sounds like, the, like in the Bible what the scripture is saying is that the happy person is marked by what he doesn't do, people that he doesn't hang out with, and places that he doesn't go. And that is true for many Christians. For many Christians, their Christianity is primarily a negative thing. 
I don't do this, and I don't go here, and I don't do that. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. You know that old thing, right? <clears throat> but, but Christianity is not, cannot be built on a negative. That is what is so important. In other words, yes, there are certain things that have to be like, moved away from. There are certain habits and practices and lifestyle, parts of a lifestyle that we have to just put away if we're going to walk with the Lord successfully and victoriously. But um, Christianity by nature is not a negative thing. It is a positive thing. It's not based on what I don't do. It is based upon what I do. So get, to get me ready, there's a lot of power in the, in the negative thinking which this psalm starts off with. Okay, saying no is often the first step to saying yes. Think of an athlete. Okay, so there's an athlete, everybody else is sleeping or taking their time, getting their stuff together in the morning, but the athlete's up at 5 o'clock, he's down in the gym, he's working out, he's training, he's got dietary restrictions, right, gets home at the end of the day, and then starts thinking about that half gallon of ice cream that's sitting in the freezer that sure would taste good, but the answer is no, right? And in order for a person to train and to achieve, oftentimes it's first necessary to um, bring on the negatives so that then the positives can flourish. So the question is, what must the blessed person say no to? Okay, so the first thing that, according to this psalm, the first thing that the, if, if the, that the person who is the blessed person will have to say no to is bad advice. Okay, where do you get your advice? Where do you get your life guidance? The first thing will be, I'll have to say no to bad advice. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay, we need to be careful. You need to be careful of who you listen to. Be careful of what I listen to, what it is that guides and directs my life, that, that, that drives my thinking, that creates my worldview. There are two quick ways to disaster regarding people's advice. One is, take nobody's advice. All right, so there are some people, it's like Psalm, or Proverbs, it's Proverbs 17, one where he says, he that isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all sound wisdom. And there's a time when someone just is unwilling, no, I'll figure it out, it's okay, and they're not willing to listen to anybody, not willing to take anybody's advice. And then the second way to, to disaster is take everybody's advice. So just keep on shopping around until you find the answers that you're looking for. Some people are so isolated, they won't listen to anybody. Other people are constantly shopping around, wanting to hear the thing that they believe, that they already believe, looking for confirmation of their own ideas. So everyone that you know ultimately will have an opinion on how it is that you should live. And so oftentimes, by just seeking advice from the wrong places, um, it's not always the best, and it's certainly not always godly advice that we'll get. It may be well-intentioned. It may even come from your own family, but if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, pitch it, because it won't be, bring you to success. There's an old Danish proverb that says, He who builds according to every man's advice will have a crooked house. All right, if everybody gets to put their two cents in on, as to uh, what you should do and how it ought to happen. So the very first thing that the blessed person needs to say no to is bad advice. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. But what else does a godly person need, learn, uh, need to learn to say no to? Secondarily is bad 
associations, who does not stand in the way of sinners. Now notice, the, notice that the progress is being impeded. He starts out walking. Walking in the Bible is like a metaphor for life, for living, right? So he's moving along. He's taking care of business. He's doing his stuff. And all of a sudden, he starts getting some bad advice. Now he starts to think. He stands and stops and begins to ponder the advice that he is receiving. He starts, down, he starts walking but slows down to stand. And if you walk in the footsteps of bad advice, you will soon be standing among those who are giving it. Okay, you'll soon be hanging out with those people who are supplying the bad advice. So we need to be careful of who we hang out with. Scripture says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33 and Proverbs 18.34 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Now, with that being said and with that in mind, it is important that we, um, that, that we understand that it's not wrong to make friends with unbelieving people. It's actually a perfectly reasonable, it's a good thing to make friends with unbelieving people. Of course, one of the accusations um, that was uh, brought towards the Lord Jesus, or brought on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was that he was a friend of sinners and publicans. He was hanging out with the wrong kind of people. But when Jesus hung out, hung out with the people that he chose to be with, he didn't hang out with them to become like them or to learn from them. He hung out with them to show by example so that they could see his life and then be attracted to him and be attracted to who and what he was. So, um, I had a Bible school professor one time who said this, Christians who move the world are the ones who don't let the world move them. Okay? Christians who move the world are the ones who don't let the world move them. So we need to be careful about who we listen to. We need to be careful about who we hang out with. And the third thing we need to uh, say no to are bad attitudes. Who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, the scornful, uh, the seat of the scornful is a very popular seat in our world today. Okay, a lot of people just really enjoy it. And, and from that seat of the scornful, we hear all kinds of accusation and indictment about Christianity and what Christianity is and Otto's right wing nut jobs and they're so committed to their old biblical morality. They really believe that stuff that's in the Bible. Haven't they seen the latest PBS special? in which we were told by Channel 13 that all that stuff in the Bible could never have happened, right? So there's, so uh, with, with uh, you know, it is easy to get or to cop the world's attitude, which is an attitude of scorning or, the word is lutes, mocking, like becoming a mocker of God, becoming a mocker of his word, becoming a mocker of his standards, becoming a mocker of his morality, and that is what's happening in our world today. Everything that is coming up, like we on, on Friday night, we showed the, uh, the the Matt Walsh movie, "What Is a Woman," and I mean, you 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 hear what's going on in that thing, and you you hear these people who are absolutely demanding that a person who has decided they are the opposite sex is, in fact, really a woman. So if I if I decide tomorrow that all of a sudden I'm a woman, then you have to accept the fact that I am actually and truly a woman, and it's just insane. 
right? But this is what happens when we depart from, when we thumb our nose to God's standards of truth and morality, and then we go about to, we go about to find our own path of happiness. That's the very same deal that's driving that whole trans ideology. I just want to be happy. Right? This is what is driving the whole thing. But the whole thing is taking people nowhere. And, and, and you should know also that 40% of people, both pre-op and post-op, are all, are, um, will commit suicide, trans people. So, there is, you know, so that route is not one that is making anybody happy. So <clears throat> first, the happy or blessed person is described by what he or she declines. Second, the happy or blessed person is described or defined by what he or she delights in. What do I decline? The counsel of the ungodly, standing with the sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Okay, and again, you see the regression in all of that. I'm walking, I'm standing, now I'm sitting, okay? <clears throat> but the happy or blessed person is described by what he or she delights in. The way it's phrased in the psalm is, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now the psalmist moves from all the don'ts, all the negatives, to the do's. Christianity is not a negative religion. Um, a relationship by, with God is not defined by what we don't do. Many people have enough of God to make them decent, but not enough of God to make them dynamic. Okay, in other words, there's enough of God to, to get a little fire insurance, but there's not enough of God in our life to produce that kind of energy and power that makes us a world-changing type of a person. But notice his attitude towards the Bible. His delight is in the law of the Lord. It doesn't say his duty is to take out his Bible every day and read his passage of scripture. That's the way it happens in a lot of people's lives. I mean, we all, we all get there from time to time, but you got to fight against that because honestly, there isn't anything that is more interesting or exciting than what God has revealed to us in his word. Not only that, it's multifaceted. So the way you read it one time and things you learn from it one time, it will yield up a whole new uh, set of truths and results and information and encouragement and direction the second time and the third time and the fourth time because the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pier uh, it pierces down to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and of the intents of the heart. It is a living thing. You don't read it. It reads you. That's the way the word works. And as we read the word, it has the capacity to unmask the little things that are going on, the games that only I know that I'm playing, and I think I got everybody else bamboozled about, right? But the word of God just unmasks the inward deceptions and the, the inward falsehood. And, 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 but the, the, uh, the wonderful part of the whole thing, it is all done in a spirit of there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the good news is that the word of God is going to like unmask me and show what a little schemer I am by nature, so that I may be delivered from my folly, right? But it does so, it does that in such a way that it doesn't do it in, to, in order to condemn me. It does it in the same way. My, li my little boy is here this morning. Steve, he's good to see you this morning. And he now is 35 years old. I haven't paddled him for years. You know? 
course, he'd probably take the paddle, rip it out of my hands, chase me around, start paddling me these days, right? But over the course of time, you know, you, you discipline your children, but you never discipline your children with it in mind to harm them. You discipline your, your children with it in mind to help them and to give them wisdom and understanding and all of that, right? And it has to be done in that Christ-like kind of a spirit, which I always did, right, pal? <laughs> I remember when we were in eighth grade, we were doing homeschool. One time, Stevie wasn't always the most diligent guy on doing his homework, right? Um, and I remember I'm, I'm, like, yelling at him in, in a, a position about like this. Hope I don't. And he's, a, he's an eighth grader. And I'm, ah! I am, like, I'm full tilt, man. And all of a sudden, I caught my, and he's just looking at me like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? And, uh, <clears throat> And I thought, we got to calm down here. <laughs> but that, you know, so we make mistakes in that area. But the, the point simply being that discipline has to be done in a way that it is done for the child and not to the child. Okay? It's important to get anger and all of that out of the mix or, or go somewhere and get that out of your head and get that out of your attitude before you stop to actually discipline your child because the anger will undermine the entire thing and make it less fruitful. Anyway, um, the attitude for the person who is to be the blessed person is, um, in his law, he meditates day and night. <clears throat> he finds, once one translation says, he finds his greatest pleasure in the law of the Lord. <clears throat> the reason that is so is because the Bible is a means to an end. The end is an encounter with the living God. That's what the Bible sets up, the, the possibility of our having an encounter with the living God. I want to know the Word of God so I can know the God of the Word, right? I want an encounter with God, and the Bible makes that possible. It's kind of like, for example, um, let's say a young woman has a boyfriend, okay? And, she, um, and, and it, on her person, she has a photograph of her boyfriend, and she keeps it there. And every once in a while, because she can't be with him all the time, she may pull out that photograph and take a look at that, and like look longingly, wistfully at the picture of her boyfriend, maybe even give it a little, little, you know, a little smooch, a little uh, surreptitious kiss or something like that. But it, the, the picture that she had, now the picture's not him, agreed? The picture is not him. The picture is a reminder of him. Right? And that reminder, that's, that's kind of what Scripture is for us. It is the picture, so to speak, of God. It is God revealing himself, letting us know what he's about so that we can get to know him. When she's away from him, she pulls it out and she may look at it, but it's a reminder, right? So the Bible's a picture of God. It's a reminder of God. It speaks to us of God. It puts us in touch with God. It sets us up for an encounter with God. Now, David... Who, um, who likely wrote this psalm, the only scripture that he could, remember when he says that his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. The only scripture that David would have had at his disposal at this time in history, 1000 BC, was the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That would have been the source of the the law of the Lord that he's speaking about, right? But no, notice what he's saying. His delight is in those books. Are you serious? 
Well, Genesis, yeah, I can go along with that. And Exodus, I can do that. And Leviticus, so we're going to starting to bog down a little bit there. And uh, Deuteronomy and uh, Numbers, you know. To, but he he had learned that his delight was in the law of the Lord. And and David, in another Psalm, in Psalm nineteen, writes uh, a, writes this kind of a comparison of of God's revelation as it appears in the natural realm versus God's revelation as God has revealed, revealed more about himself through his law. In Psalm 19, he says, um, the heavens declare the glory of God and earth shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day, they utter their speech. Night unto night, they declare their knowledge. There is no voice, there is no tongue, there is no language in all of the world where their voice is not heard, okay? So what he's saying is the all of the cosmos, all of the things that we see in the natural world, all of it is a declaration or a testimony of the handiwork, the, the wonder and the beauty and the glory and the majesty uh, of the God who has made all of these different things. <clears throat> but then he takes a, a, a turn in Psalm 19, and, he, and it's kind of like he, he is saying to us, and all that is incredible, it's wonderful, but there's something even better. There's something even more wonderful, and this is where he takes us in Psalm 19. He says, the law of the Lord, I was thinking, Joel, we should have sang this one, but we don't have Tim this morning. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, right? Or converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold. More sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Okay, so he's pulling out the value of the law of the Lord. And while, you know, he's, he's gazing at the natural world and noticing all of his wonder and beauty, but he says there's something that has an even deeper impact on a human being's life, and that is the knowledge of the law of God, the knowledge of, the, of uh, what God has left in terms of the, his statutes and ordinances. When you go through uh, something like Psalm 119, he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. And so, and he goes, you know, kind of section after section after section after section. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, do not let me wander from your commandments. And on and on and on. A celebration, if you will, of the value of the self-disciplining, self-directing value of the law of God. Without it, we'd be lost. Without it, we just be wandering around, being blown around. Later on, he's going to talk about the chaff, which the wind blows away. The ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff, which the wind blows away. The things that just blow according to the wind, like Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in trespasses and sin, and whence you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, if, uh, it, it's the, so to speak, it's the dead fish that floats down with the current, it's the live fish that swims against it. So all of these things are aspects of, that David saw in, the, in terms of its value for, his, for disciplining his life. Um, 
coming from the law of the Lord. Now, for a minute, let's take a look at the word meditate. Okay? He says, in his law, he meditates day and night. What does meditate mean? Well, it's not like the TM, transcendental meditation type of meditation that I was talking a few weeks ago when that was hip and cool when I was a teenager and slightly thereafter, and it's still around. Okay, but the transcendental type of meditation is a, um, a process by which you try to empty your mind of all things so that you just, you're, you're trying to achieve some kind of like inner uh, connection or inner consciousness with some unknown reality, okay? Um, but the meditation that Scripture advises is nothing at all like that. Biblical meditation is the opposite. It is a concentrated engaging of the mind with God's revealed truth. The Hebrew word is hagah, which means to mutter, to read to oneself in an undertone, to talk in an undertone. The root meaning brings us back to the low moaning of an animal, especially when that animal is chewing its cud. The idea behind this idea of, the idea behind this uh, concept of meditate, but, he, but he, in his law he meditates day and night, is like the animal that is chewing its cud. And according to you know, when I study the animal, eats its food and swallows it down and it lodges in the first stomach and it comes back up. And when it comes back up, the animal makes kind of like, mmm, mmm. Just kind of like you and I would do when you're eating something and you love it and it's delicious. You go like, mmm, man, that's good, right? So that's what, that's, and so that's what this word um, describes, this word hogaw, that it's like the animal chewing its cud. And it really advises a kind of reading of the word that's not just like a jet tour right through the thing. Let me make sure I get 10 chapters in today or this week or something like that. But taking the time to actually not just read the word, but feed on the word so that it comes down and you, you swallow it and then you bring it back up again and you chew it a little more and you, and you swallow it down. And it's that whole process. It's a matter of digesting the word of actually really, I think that's why more people don't receive more from the word of God because we don't, we don't match it with that kind of attitude which goes very slowly and just thinks about the reality or the, or the concepts as to, you know, where did this word come from? Who is it recently spoken to? Does it have a promise? Does it have a command? Is there something that I need to do regarding this word? So that, so that it becomes a thoughtful process. That's what he's saying when he's saying, but his, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Meditation is kind of like a link between theory and action. Okay, on one hand, you have the theory, what's in the book, what's written is advice, it's guidance, it's theory. But the meditation moves it from being just theoretical to the point where it is being under consideration as to how do I actually put this in play? How do I actually make this work? Who, and, and, and I learned that by asking the various questions. Who was it written to? Is it a command, a promise? Um, so med meditation is the link. It takes that which is in the Word of God, allows us to think about it and chew on it for a while and digest it. Um, and that's how, that's how we move into that place where he says, blessed is the man who doesn't do this, but does do this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates 
day and night. So the blessed person is described by what he declines first. Number two, described by what he delights in, the law of the Lord. And then the third thing that comes up in this psalm is the blessed one is is described by what he depicts. Okay, he's described by what he depicts. It goes on to say, let's take it to the next. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. He shall be like a tree. He's not a stump. He's not a branch. He will be an entirely intact, living, growing, flourishing thing, um, something, and, 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 and a living thing, okay, that will be planted by rivers of, by, by the river of water. He's a, it's, it, it's, he is defined by permanence, by roots, and by stability, and by uh, by being anchored and strong. The one who um, meditates, his delight is in the law of the Lord, in his law he meditates. He will be like a tree, and not only just a tree, but a tree that is planted where the water is. Okay, a tree that is planted where the water is is going to be a very solid, very, a very well-grounded um, thing, okay, living thing, and it's going to ultimately produce the good things that that tree is supposed to produce. His leaf also, sh- okay, no, uh, that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. So there will inevitably be fruit uh, coming forth from the life of this person who is the less person. Now, in in um, in, in considering that possibility, I'm, I'm sure that if you've read your Bible any number of times, you are aware of the fact that fruit is a big deal to God, okay? When Jesus is teaching, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and he brings forth no fruit, the father, no, I'm the vine, my, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes to make it even more fruitful. A little later on, that same thing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered. Men gather such branches and throw them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me, if my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, thus showing yourself to be my disciples. Fruit is a big deal to God. Fruit is results. Fruit is what God is looking for out of our life. And it can be, there's all kinds of fruit. Obviously, there's the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and meekness and faith and self-control and all, and all of that. There's the fruit of the harvest, right? God wants every one of us to be part of the harvest so that we are, we are out declaring to people who don't yet know who Christ is, who he is and what he's done for them. Right? So there's fruit, there's personal fruit that is born in terms of the kinds of fruit of the Spirit that, that is to be forthcoming from a life that is being lived under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And then there is also the fruit of the harvest. And fruit is important to God. He says his, he will bring forth his fruit 
in due season. It's important to realize that fruit is seasonal. It will come in due time. The important part for me, my job is not to try to produce fruit. My job is to abide. Um, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's my job. Okay, if I do those things, the rest of it is up to God, and he will bring it forth. It will certainly be forthcoming. Boink. Okay, so um, what meditation on the law will do for, for our lives, it will give roots, stability, and permanence. Um, this, the, the idea behind this is very similar to the idea that Jesus presents when he talks about abiding. If you abide in me, if my word abides in you. That's the idea. Um, it's kind of like an Old Testament um, aspect of this. And then there are two aspects of a solidly grounded tree. One is fruitfulness. The other is freshness. He will bring forth his fruit in due season. Fruit is inevitable to the, for this tree. And he will also... Uh, uh, he also will bring forth um, refreshment to others. Refreshment then is also a characteristic of the tree. It's kind of like when God, to become the blessed person, God's intention for you to be the blessed person is so that you can be a blessing to some other person. It's if, if you, if you uh, go to Israel, there's usually one day on the trip where they will take you from way up north, Sea of Galilee, all the way down south, and there are two bodies of water there that you will run in between, and what's connecting them is the Jordan River. And when you leave the Galilee area, the Galilee area is beautiful, it's verdant, it's, there are farmlands everywhere. It's amazing what the Jews have done there uh, to, to make that whole area, to make it agriculturally rich. And up in, so up in that northern area near the Sea of Galilee, you've got all kinds of farms and all kinds of produce and all kinds of stuff. But then as you go further and further south down the Jordan um, river. Of course, you can't really take the Jordan River because it's just like a little trickle, trickle or a little stream these days. But when you get down to the bottom of that, what you find is the Dead Sea. Now, you know what's wrong with the Dead Sea? Let's say in the Sea of Galilee, it's a living, it's a living sea. Things flow into it, things flow out of it. That's the key to, to it's, it's, it, the fact that it is a living body of water. But when you get to the Dead Sea, it is the Dead Sea because everything flows into it and nothing flows out. That's a, there's a real spiritual lesson in all of that. When it is always just about what am I going to get, what, where am I going to get my next whatever th piece of happiness or something like that, everything is then flowing in. When do things start flowing out? And that's, what's, that's what it, the problem is with the Dead Sea. It is just simply, I think there's some kind of weird, there are a few weird microbes that live in there, but other than these strange uh, life forms, essentially nothing can live. It's a really bizarre place to go. You kind of you can't sink because it's so mineral rich. And, and, oh, well, you'll go in due season. But the point, the point simply being that he is the tree planted by the rivers of water. He brings forth his fruit in his season. That will be forthcoming. Um, his leaf also shall not wither. That's a picture of the freshness of the tree. Okay, the withered leaf is a tree that's drying out. It's not getting its proper amount of moisture. But this tree, because it is planted by rivers of living water, of course, that river of living water is just typical of the Word of God. It is planted somewhere where nourishment is constantly available. He, uh, he will bring forth his fruit. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That is God's promise to every one of us. 
I think God is a God of prosperity. No, but God is a, pro- God is a prosperity God. You know, this whole, is all of this stuff. I mean, people make a big deal about the prosperity gospel, and we understand that people have pushed that to a ridiculous limit where, like, everything is, not, is supposed to be prosperity and Cadillacs and Rolls Royces and, you know, Rolex watches and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's, that is a complete distortion of it. But the God that we are serving wants us to be in health and to prosper, according to the book of John, even as our soul prospers, right? So prosperity, whatsoever he does will prosper. Whatsoever he does will prosper. Is that appealing to you? Oh, man. Right? That's a promise. That is a promise that whatever, whatever direction you take, whatever tack you take, God is saying, I'm for you. Go, with, go for it. Do it. I will cause this thing to prosper. We, sometimes we sit here on, you know, when, when we, as the weeks go by, how many times, Jewel, and just look at the finances that come in, and sometimes numbers are up, and sometimes numbers are down, and over these last few years, there's been COVID and all kinds of stuff, right? But God has provided steadfastly right across for everything that we have needed right along throughout every time, for everything. It's ama- it is amazing to me how God has prospered and blessed the work that he has, that he has planted here. So, this is the result of being the blessed man, walking not in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water who bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf will not wither. No dry time. No, you know, uh, just if I could just get a touch from God, if I could just get No, it doesn't have to be that way. God is available. It's kind of like people say, well, if God, boy, if God would just meet me. Hey, God knows where you are, and you know where God is. There's a time that you can take. If you are feeling withered and dry and, and, and spiritually dry, get with God. <laughs> you know, like I, I can remember times when things were really crazy. Before, there have been a number of different seasons in this church where things happened that we did, wouldn't think and things have happened even up to the present time. I've had in the last five years probably some of the most deep disappointments that I've had in my entire life over things that have not gone in a way that I thought. I assumed they were going to go. But you know what? God is still God. God is still on the throne. And I refuse to accept defeat. I refuse to accept that God has no ability to change a set of circumstances when those set of circumstances do not line up with what he says he will do and who he says that he is. That's not, I'm, I'm not arrogant about it, but I, I will not receive defeat because I am walking. I am the man. I set my, I'm not trying to boast in this, but I made it my decision years ago that I want to be the blessed man. Okay, that's who I want to be in this world. So I don't want to be a half-stepper. I don't want a piece of this action. I don't want to know something about, you know, some little little uh, scraps and little, I want to get into this. I want the fullness of it. I want the reality of this, right? That's where every one of us should be, to, to go for the fullness. And so, you know, bringing that back to the whole dryness thing, yeah, there's times when you're disappointed. There's times when you're fearful. There's times when you're confused. There's times when things don't seem to be lining up. Then that's just time to dig in and take some time to seek the Lord. Maybe throw a little fasting on top of there too. Oh, my God. Did he really say that? <laughs> but it's just true. It's necessary for us to be steadfast, be steadfast 
unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.56. So, as we kind of come to the conclusion of this wonderful psalm, the, finally the, uh, the blessed person is <clears throat> described by what he declines, described by what he delights in, described by what he depicts, and finally he is described by how he is different. Here's what it says as the psalm kind of draws to a conclusion. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Okay? Here he has, he, he li- he's likening the blessed person to the person, who's a, to a tree. He's a tree. He's going to bring forth fruit in the season. Everything, whatever he does is going to prosper. All these wonderful blessings and promises. The person who is not this person doesn't have any of those options, doesn't have any of those advantages, but in fact will simply be like the chaff. You know what chaff is? It's a little husk that comes on wheat that when they harvest wheat, they throw it on the threshing floor. They roll some things over it. It busts that chaff off. And then the way they get rid of the chaff is they just take a like a, uh, some type of a shovel and just throw it up on a windy day and then the chaff blows off and the wheat falls back down and then they have the refined wheat on the threshing floor and the chaff is gone. The chaff is just simply a product of the wind. And it, it, it reminds me of like the way it's, it is expressed in Ephesians chapter 2 because he says, before you were saved, but you who were dead in your trespasses and sins uh, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the Prince of the power of the air. What he's saying is there is, a, there is a wind that blows the people of this world. It is the wind of fashion or fad or fancy or whatever. It's, it's whatever's coming. It's, it's the Johnny-come-lately thing, right? And just everybody's blown around by that. And that's the way the chaff is. The chaff, they throw it up, the wind blows it away, okay? But it, in, in this particular case, um, it, it is an indictment of a wrong set of values or a wrong set of priorities. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff, which the wind blows away. So you got a choice. You want to be the blessed man or you want to be the garbage? You want to be the chaff, right? Because there, there aren't three that I'm aware of. There's the person who will be the blessed person and there's the person who will be the chaff. And of course, at the end, I don't think I've included that in the last two verses, for the Lord knows the way of the godly but the way of the uh, uh, but the way of un- the unrighteous will perish. So there's a choice: it's blessing, or it's perish. One of those two, no in between option. And so I, you know, again back to this psalm. I love this psalm because it just simply lays out a simple directive as to how life can be lived successfully, fruitfully, um, freshly, and faithfully. And fruitfully, I already said that one, right? It's what it's God's instruction as to how I can be happy in this world. Are you a happy person? Yeah. Can you can you think as you think of your life right now? Would you say I'm I'm happy? I have joy. I have contentment. I have found this place that God has pointed out in His Word. Right? That's the that that's what God wants to make us aware of. Blessed is the one who doesn't do certain things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and in his law he meditates. Would you put a little more time in that, right? Think about that when it's time to get into, your, into the word. Think about meditation and not just reading, not just accomplishing some stuff, but meditation, meditating on the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today for this incredible word of encouragement. which promises blessings on anybody, anybody. This works for anybody. Black, white, yellow, brown, green, red, anything. Any person that would take you at your word would be able to inherit the net blessings that are laid out. This is not just for special Christian superstars. This is for everybody. Everybody. Amen? Amen right? And you've got to dig in and say, I, I want that. I will not be denied of the blessing that God has for me. So thank you, Lord, for your word and for the encouragement and hope that it brings. And God, we pray that you will just allow this confidence that you are watching over and as our lives are being lived under your guidance and direction. Blessing is on its way in Jesus' name. Amen.